Exodus chapter 24, page 64 in your Bibles, as well as to Lord's Day 28 of the Heidelberg Catechism, back of the hymnals, page 884. Last week we looked at the Old Testament background of baptism, infant baptism, covenant baptism, and tonight we look at the Old Testament background of Lord's Supper. As we see the drama of God's redemptive story unfold, we learn something of the doctrines that we confess. This is so true in the sacraments in particular. They have imagery uh, in the, uh, the Old Testament that teaches us uh, concerning what God would have us to know. Follow with me in Exodus. I'm going to start in Exodus 12. We're just going to review the history that's leading up to chapter 24. God delivered his people from their bondage in Egypt, Exodus 12. He commanded them to put blood over their doorposts that death would pass over. Remember that uh, in that chapter. Once delivered, the people found themselves pursued by the enemy of God again. As Pharaoh chased them, Exodus chapter 14, and in fear, they cried out while God, while questioning God's power, why have you brought us out? Why have you brought us out to die in the wilderness? Moses assured them that God was strong to save, chapter 14, verses 13 and 14. After their deliverance, they complained once more of no provision in the wilderness, Exodus chapter 16. And... They're told that they would see the glory of the Lord in his provision. And he sent manna, bread from heaven. Then he provided water for them, Exodus 17. He provided victory over their enemies, also in chapter 17. Then he provided them leaders, Exodus 18, to help Moses rule the nation. Then he gave them the law, Exodus 19 and 20. He warned them that as the law was given, that they were not to approach the mountain or they would surely die. They could not come to him on their own, in their goodness, in their law-keeping. He says this three times. There's that triple play again we've been talking about tonight. When God says something three times, he means it. You shall not come near. You shall not come near. You shall not come near. Then we come to Exodus 24. This resumes the uh, account that was interrupted at the end of, or in the, toward the end of chapter 20. Just read chapter 20, verse 21. As God calls Moses up, the people stood far off, and Moses drew near to the thick darkness where God was. And then the interim there in between chapters 21, 22, and 23, the law that was given, that which is summarized in Exodus 20, but more specific, more uh, uh, specific way of of delineating it there in in the intervening chapters. And uh, Moses receives that law. The contents are stated there. And then God calls Moses up to him with Aaron, Nadab, and Abihu and the 70 elders of Israel. Remember, Nadab and Abihu were those who were struck down for offering unauthorized sacrifice. They knew the law. In fact, they're here at the giving of the law. They should have understood God's word, and they should have understood that it was to be followed. 
Leviticus 10 tells us, however, they offered strange fire, unauthorized fire, and they were struck down, seeking to come to God apart from his command. God reminds them again, we'll see this in chapter 24, he reminds them of the law before they go up. Verses 3 and 4. And then, because they could not enter in By their obedience, blood was shed, verses 5 and 8 of Exodus 24. Listen to the reading of God's Word with these pieces already given to the story. Exodus 24, verse 1. Then God said to Moses, Come up to the Lord, you and Aaron, Nadab and Abihu, and seventy of the elders of Israel, and worship from afar. Moses alone shall come near to the Lord, but the others shall not come near, and the people shall not come up with him. Moses came and told the people all the words of the Lord and all the rules, and all the people answered with one voice and said, All the words that the Lord has spoken we will do. And Moses wrote down all the words of the Lord. He rose early in the morning and built an altar at the foot of the mountain and twelve pillars according to the twelve tribes of Israel. And he sent young men of the people of Israel who offered burnt offerings and sacrificed peace offerings of oxen to the Lord. And Moses took half of the blood and put it in basins, and half of the blood he threw against the altar. Then he took the book of the covenant and read it in the hearing of the people. And they said, all that the Lord has spoken we will do and we will be obedient. And Moses took the blood and threw it on the people and said, Behold, the blood of the covenant that the Lord has made with you in accordance with all these words. Then Moses and Aaron, Nadab and Abihu, and seventy of the elders of Israel went up. And they saw the God of Israel. There was under his feet, as it were, a pavement of sapphire stone like the very heaven for cleanness. And he did not lay his hand on the chief men of the people of Israel. They beheld God and ate and drank. The Lord said to Moses, Come up to me on the mountain and wait there, that I may, that I may give you the tablets of stone with the law and the commandment, which I have written for their instruction. So Moses rose with his assistant Joshua, and Moses went up into the mountain of God, and he said to the elders, wait here for us until we return to you, and behold, Aaron and Hur are with you, whoever has a dispute, let him go to them. And then Moses went up on the mountain, and the cloud covered the mountain. The glory of the Lord dwelt on Mount Sinai, and the cloud covered it six days, and on the seventh day he called to Moses out of the midst of the cloud. Now the appearance of the glory of the Lord was like a devouring fire on the top of the mountain in the sight of the people of Israel. Moses entered the cloud and went up on the mountain, and Moses was on the mountain forty days and forty nights. So far the reading of God's own holy word. May it as blessing to the reading and proclamation of it this evening. Dear congregation, these are some of the most stunning verses in the Bible. Here we see, or here we read, that the people see the Lord and they live. 
They behold the Lord and they are not consumed. Completely unexpected given what God had said, that no one can look upon me, no one can see me and live. And yet here we read that this is what happened. We'll look at that Hebrew text a bit later, but keep that in mind. Look now at Lord's Day 28 of the, uh, on the sacrament of the Lord's Supper. Lord's Day 28. When Jesus instituted the Lord's Supper, he used the language of Exodus 24, verse 8. That's why we're in Exodus 24 tonight. He spoke of his blood as the blood of the covenant, connecting it to that event, to that history of God's people that they might understand what was taking place in the institution of the Lord's Supper. He spoke of his blood as being the blood of the covenant, opening the way for sinners to enter God's presence, and something more, as we're going to see tonight. I'm going to read those questions and answers for us tonight, 75, 76, and 77. How does the Holy Supper remind and assure you that you share in Christ one sacrifice on the cross and in all his benefits? In this way, Christ has commanded me and all believers to eat this broken bread and to drink this cup in remembrance of him. With this command come these promises. First, As surely as I see with my eyes the bread of the Lord broken for me and the cup shared with me, so surely his body was offered and broken for me and his blood poured out for me on the cross. Second, as surely as I receive from the hand of him who serves and taste with my mouth the bread and cup of the Lord given me as sure signs of Christ's body and blood, so surely he nourishes and refreshes my soul for eternal life with his crucified body and poured out blood. Question 76. What does it mean to eat the crucified body of Christ and to drink his poured out blood? It means to accept with a believing heart the entire suffering and death of Christ and in this way to receive forgiveness of sins and eternal life. But it means more. Through the Holy Spirit, who lives both in Christ and in us, we are united more and more to Christ's blessed body. And so although he is in heaven and we are on earth, we are flesh of his flesh and bone of his bone. And we forever live on and are governed by one spirit as the members of our body are by one soul. Question 77, where does Christ promise to nourish and refresh believers with his body and blood as surely as they eat this broken bread and drink this cup. In the institution of the Lord's Supper, the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also he took the cup after supper saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. This promise is repeated by Paul in these words. Cup of blessing that we bless. Is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? Because there is one bread, we who are many are one body. 
for we all partake of the one bread. Three questions are asked in this Lord's Day. How does the Holy Supper remind and assure you that you share in Christ? Second, what does it mean to eat and drink? Thirdly, where does Christ promise to nourish and refresh believers with himself? Look at those in turn tonight. But we'll do so as we look at Exodus 24. For God in his plan and his wisdom has determined to give us our doctrine to us in many instances, narrative form. He doesn't give us a catechism. The catechism is a a tool by which we can kind of organize the the teachings, the doctrines of Scripture, and, and, and keep them somewhat organized in our minds, or at least know where to look and how to understand them. But God has given us what we need to know through a story. We've seen that story this morning, our origin, and we know how the story plays out in the fall and God's promise, redemption, and we catch a glimpse of that story when we look at the book of Revelation, and John, under inspiration of the Holy Spirit, sees the victorious Christ and the future of all believers. But here, at this point in the story, in Exodus 24, the question is being asked, how can one come to God? How is it possible for one to see God, to behold God? God's work is at the heart of the answer to this question. He is at the heart of it. And the catechism puts the sacraments in the center of the the catechism because that is where our faith looks. We see our sin. We look to Christ. We live the end of the catechism because we are in Christ. It's right there that the sacraments find their place in the catechism because it's there that we see how we are brought to God. And so in the sacraments, God is teaching us how we might come to him, and he's giving us something visual so that we can see. He's speaking to us of that which is very common to us, eating and drinking, so that we might understand that nourishment comes from him. Life comes from him and him alone. Baptism had its old, has Old Testament roots, and so does Lord's Supper. And if we miss this Old Testament background, which many do today, they say, well, I focus in the New Testament. I don't want to look at the Old Testament. If we do that, we miss so much that God wants to teach us about the Lord Jesus Christ and about the way that we come to him as he draws people to himself. That's why we look in the Old Testament tonight, though the Catechism also uses 1 Corinthians to speak to the matter of Lord's Supper. But God's people, indeed all people, truth be told, know that it's impossible to come before God. That's why Paul says in Romans 1, they suppress the truth in unrighteousness. They don't want to deal with their guilt. They don't want to deal with the fact that all will answer to God for what they've done in the body. 
And so they suppress it and they don't want to think about it, but all in their heart of hearts, as we call it, as we say it, know that no one can come to God on their own. And all will give account to the judge of all the earth, that judgment being given to the Son. Well, read the reality here of that of that instinct, of that knowledge in man. No one can come to God. It says it in Exodus 19, 16. It says it in Exodus 20, verse 18. The people were terrified in His presence. When they saw the fire on the mountain, they heard the thunder, they were terrified in His presence. When Moses was on the mountain, he asked to see the glory of the Lord, and the Lord responded, I will make my goodness pass before you, but my face you cannot see, for no man can see me and live. There was this notion that we cannot see God lest we perish. We cannot even come near, or we shall perish. This is in the minds of the people, in the minds of Moses, Aaron, Nadab, and Abihu, and the 70 elders. They're We have to put ourselves in their shoes. They're panicking. The Lord says, come up to the mountain. They're saying, how are we going to do that? How can we come near? What they see, verse 17, is this. Now, the appearance of the glory of the Lord was like a devouring fire on the top of the mountain in the sight of the people of Israel. Yeah, I want to go up there. (laughs) No. That's frightening. That looks as though it will consume. God has become so domesticated today that we lose sight of the terrifying nature of His holiness. How can anyone approach him? That's what this chapter is about, Exodus 24. Before going up, Moses reminds the people of all the words of the covenant, verse 3. And their response in the end of verse 3 is, All the words that the Lord has spoken we will do. And we know how well that went. The golden calf. Shortly after Moses goes up on the mountain. They couldn't keep his word perfectly. They couldn't keep his word for more than 40 days. They recognized their need. What they're saying here is they're recognizing their need for the word of the Lord, for that is where life is found. All these words we must do if we are going to truly live. And as they make this statement, Moses also has young men of the people of Israel, verse 5 tells us, offer burnt offerings and peace offerings, and the blood that is left from the sacrifices is sprinkled upon the people, for there is no way that one can enter into God's presence without a life required. Moses took the blood and threw it on the people, verse 8, and said, Behold the blood of the covenant that the Lord has made with you in accordance with all these words. 
God takes the oath to do whatever it takes to have a people for Himself, even giving His own Son for His redeemed people. As we look at Lord's Day 28, we notice, what we notice is the writers of the Catechism connect Jesus' words at the institution of Lord's Supper with this event in Israel's history. As he commanded them to drink the wine, he said, this is my blood of the covenant. He says that in Matthew 26, verse 28. Jesus' blood made a way for forgiveness. He could declare, it is finished. The price has been paid in full. But there's more going on. Not only is a price paid, but there is the invitation to come to God. Look at verses 9 and 10. And Moses and Aaron, Nadab and Abihu, and the 70 elders of Israel went up, and they saw the God of Israel. There was under his feet, as it were, a pavement of sapphire stone like the very heaven for clearness. Through the blood of the covenant, God's people are able to see him by way of their representatives. Those who represented the tribes of Israel. This is an astounding passage. Here in the Old Testament, where the people had not yet understood how one was to come to the Lord, and yet the Lord says, come. And it says they saw God. Well, we recognize what the Bible teaches. God has said, no one could see my, can see my face and live. So what they saw was real but not God in His fullness. What they saw was like the very heaven for clearness is how it's described in verse 10. They're seeing a picture of heaven. It's the same imagery that we find in Revelation chapter 4 when they speak of the sea of crystal before the throne of God, the the heavenlies. They're given a glimpse. They're given a glimpse of the glory of heaven, and that glory is none other than God. He is the light, and He is the fullness of heaven. They're brought into the heavens. The text goes on to emphasize how stunned, or how stunning this was. Verse 11, and the Lord did not lay His hand on the chief men of the people of Israel. Just in case you're wondering... He says, because your expectations would be, that's exactly what's going to happen. But indeed, it says, he did not lay his hand on the chief men. They beheld God and ate and drank. They ate and drank with God, for the blood of the covenant opened the way to behold his glory. When Jesus instituted the Lord's Supper, he uses this language. He was giving the meal that would point to this event as to how sinners come into the presence of a holy God. In fact, that's what happens when we partake of the Lord's Supper. We're lifted up to Him to behold His glory, to see His goodness. That's how we understand it as Reformed Christians. This is not a mere memorial, and it's not the elements actually turning into the body and blood, but rather we are lifted up to Christ, united with Him. This is no casual meal, no insignificant sacrament. 
It is teaching us. And we must listen. Christ gives command to eat and to drink. Question and answer 75 says that. Answer 75 says that Christ has commanded me and all believers to eat this bread and drink this cup in remembrance of him. And as surely as I see with my eyes the bread of the Lord broken and the cup shared, so surely his body was offered and broken for me and his blood poured out for me on the cross. Second, as surely as I receive from the hand of him who serves and tastes with my mouth the bread and cup of the Lord given me as sure signs of Christ's body and blood, so surely he nourishes and refreshes my soul for eternal life with his crucified body and poured out blood. Sign, as surely as I see, we confess something more is happening. So we are nourished and refreshed. That's the wording that we have in our form, and it comes from this understanding, this teaching of Scripture. The catechism then asks, well, what does this mean? Question 76. What does it mean to eat the crucified body of Christ and to drink his poured out blood? It means to receive with a believing heart the entire suffering and death of Christ, to receive forgiveness of sins and eternal life, but it means more. It means more. What more? It's more that we are, it's the more that we're driven to by Exodus 24. Jesus brings something more to us than what Israel had in the Old Testament. They saw God, they beheld his glory. But in the coming of Christ, we have the fulfillment of what this looked forward to. We grow in him. We saw it just last week, Colossians 2. So then just as you receive Christ Jesus as Lord, continue in him, rooted and built up. That, that imagery of, of growth, that, that, that rootedness that, that shoots up to fruitfulness, that buildedness, that foundation to build up into a holy structure, Paul says, Ephesians 2, that we're built up into that holy temple. We're being built up. We're united. This is what the catechism writers say. Through the Holy Spirit who lives both in Christ and in us, we are united more and more to Christ's blessed body. To keep us from going the direction of the Lutherans, it says this, although He is in heaven and we are on earth, We are flesh of his flesh and bone of his bone. We're not saying that he's brought down to us or that he's everywhere present in his his physical body. No. We know where he is. He's seated at the right hand of the Father. But we, in some mysterious way, Kelvin says, that we can't fully explain but only experience, we are brought up to Christ, that we might be nourished, that we might be united, so that we can't say that we are apart from him for a moment. That's what we're to be seeing in this sacrament. That is where our life is coming from. He is becoming more and more our life. Or we might say it the other way, we are being united more and more to his 
life. We're feeding on Christ. That language is often used. But Jesus is not speaking in a cannibalistic sense. He's speaking in a common turn of phrase that we use. We eat and drink for nourishment to make the point that in the sacrament, God has given this sacrament for the weakness of our faith that we might see that in this sacrament, God is working in us that we might be drawn up to him and that we might be nourished and refreshed each day. And we need that reminder. As often as you keep the sacrament. As often as you keep the sacrament. How often? Often. Regularly. Word and sacrament. Jesus says it rather interestingly in John chapter 6 to use another uh, reference to where we speak of this nourishment. He's, He's talking here before the institution of Lord's Supper, so we don't use this passage per se as a as something that people would have thought, oh yes, Lord's Supper. He's saying this before the institution of Lord's Supper, but he uses this language, whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. Speaking metaphorically, figuratively, he who eats and drinks is united to me in some mysterious way. As the living Father sent me and I live because of the Father, so whoever feeds on me, he also will live because of me. When we partake of Lord's Supper, we're lifted up to Christ, nourished by the heavenly life. The the title of this sermon brought near by the blood of the covenant, could, could have been extended, but you run out of lines in the bulletin pretty soon. <laughs> brought near and, and made alive in Christ. There's more. The, 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 these uh, uh, leaders of Israel in Exodus 24 went up and they beheld his glory in some strange way. They saw this, this uh, uh, picture of heaven for clearness. But we, in Christ, are truly brought to the Son of God. And we are made alive in him. And I don't want to... I don't want to, to be trite. But today, all, these, all this energy drink, I got to get my energy, I got to get my, my, my strength going. That's such, a, that's such a human way of looking at things that that's how I'm going to, that's how I'm going to be, going to be enlivened or energized. When, when God reminds us that, that the real life, the real energy that we need is only that which he can provide. That which, which we, of which we need to regularly, often, participate in. And where does Christ promise this? That's what the catechism writers want to, to lay out. They're, they're setting this out for us in the catechism. Now, 
let me just say at this point, this, is not, this isn't anything deeper or further, if you will, than the other sacrament, right? Baptism says we need to be washed. We need to be connected to Christ. The other sacrament is, is uh, Lord's Supper is serving in that same capacity. It's saying, where do you find your life? Where do you find your forgiveness and your, your being ushered into God's presence? In Christ. So we wouldn't expect these to be uh, uh, teaching something different. So you say, well, that sounds a lot like the sacrament of baptism. Well, you're on to something there. It is. But, but here, here, the writers of the catechism say, where does Christ promise to nourish and refresh believers with his body and blood? Are we just making this up? No. In the institution of the Lord's Supper, the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. The same way also, he t- also he took the cup after supper saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. This nourishing, this refreshing, taking hold of these earthly elements which point to something deeper, something more. He takes the bread and says, this is my body. This signifies my body. And he draws on the image of the Old Testament sacrifice when what happens, let me put a question mark on that, when when what happens? What happens there? It says that as you partake in the sacrifice, you receive the benefit that that sacrifice symbolizes. As you partake of the sacrifice, the the animals offered, then the benefits which come are, are attached. Namely, you are brought into God's presence because the sacrifice has been made. But we know these are, these are repetitive. They go over and over. Well, he, he, the Lord is saying these are sacrifices, but these are not the final sacrifice. That is yet to come. And when Jesus comes, he is that final sacrifice and the one in whom we find fulfillment of all of this system, all of this Old Testament teaching, so that we can say, in him, we now know the reality of what was type and shadow in Old Testament. The wording is used, they were participating in the sacrifice. Well, in Christ, the reality has come, the sacrifice. Jesus says, the cup, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Echoing the language of Exodus 24, and he says, you are partaking of the benefits of the sacrifice. Paul writes, the cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? It is being connected to him. It is giving further revelation, deeper understanding to what God is saying when he says we are nourished by him benefits of beneficiaries of the sacrifice as they were seeing in Exodus 24 here in New Testament we see that we are beneficiaries in this our sin is washed away and we are being united to Christ that our life in him is growing fuller every day The author of Hebrews puts it this way. He says, the people of old drew near to Mount Sinai. We're brought near to Mount Zion, the heavenly city. When we worship, when we are celebrating Lord's Supper, 
It gives us a glimpse of His glory. We hear and see the glories of God's redemptive work. That leads to worship. We see there a picture of Christ. And worship and doxo- or worship or doxology leads to then right living. The life of heaven is not distant. He's saying you are being brought up into the heavenlies. So it's going to look different. Your life is now being animated, if you will, by divine breath. And by union with Christ. We don't go where sinful hearts would take us. We don't unite to sinful practices. For Christ is in us. I quoted this passage some weeks ago. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, where the Corinthians were saying that it didn't really matter what they did in the body. And he said, what are you doing? Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? That you are united to him? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make the members of a prostitute? Never. Shall I, shall I live in sin, bringing Christ with me and saying, oh, he would approve of this. He, he, would, he wouldn't mind. After all, he shed his blood so that I can, that I can live any way I want. No. No, it's, it's, it's a different life altogether. He goes on to say, He who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. As it is written, the two will become one flesh. He uses that imagery from Genesis. The two shall become one. That picture of a beautiful intimacy that God gives and a life that is, that is hard to separate. You can't say, well, this is where, where I begin and this is where Christ begins or, or this is where Christ begins and this is, this is where I begin, but more and more the two are becoming one. There is something hard to express in this doctrine. There, therefore, we confess mystery as to what it means in the fullest sense, but Scripture tells us Though Christ is in heaven, yet we are flesh of his flesh and bone of his bone. The two are becoming one. Therefore, we flee from all sin. And we become more and more that which God would have us to be. We're nourished. We're refreshed by God. That is where we go. Not like the fool of Psalm 14, which says, No God and lives however he or she wants but instead saying, God is my life. God is my refuge. God is my strength. And I will seek to live for Him. In all that that entails, as we're looking at the book of Genesis together, in all that that entails, from from our very origins and to what what is the essence of what it means to be made male and female, and all of the rest, Christ did not come as a ghost He came in the flesh to show us what it looks like to live for the Lord in the body, on earth. We're not just brought into God's presence through the blood of the covenant. We are being transformed by our union with Christ from one degree of glory to another, Paul says. More and more looking as those who are children of God. Not yet knowing what we will be, but knowing this, that He is our Lord and that we want to live for Him. Listen to what John says in 1 John chapter 3.
We are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. That union means that there is a new life, inseparable from Christ. Lord's Supper, the Lord's Supper is not just a matter of eating and drinking. It's something far more profound, which, which is to have a deep impact on the way we live, brought near and made alive to the holiness of heaven. May God help us to understand and cause us to grow in union with Christ through participation in his sacrifice. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, as we partake by faith, eating the bread, drinking the wine, there is something mysterious. In answer to the question, how may one approach you and live, we are shown there must first be forgiveness of sins. And even more, you not only remove our sin, but you cause us to be, become more and more conform to the image of your Son. Help us to remember that in this week. That this doctrine has something to say to us, very practical to say to us in our living. How we think, how we act. Oh Lord, even what we say. Help us to be those whose lives testify that we are becoming more and more whole, more and more humble, and more and more holy. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.